Hey, Mary, did you see that Nancy Young has updated her reading ladder? I can't wait to unpack all the updates with you and talk about how they um, might change our reading teaching. This is the Reading Teachers Lounge, where listeners can eavesdrop on professional conversations between elementary reading teachers. We're passionate about literacy and strive to find strategies to reach all learners. Shannon and Mary are neighbors who realized that they were literacy soul sisters at a dinner in their Atlanta neighborhood. Once they started chatting about reading, they haven't really stopped. Come join the conversation. Hey, welcome to the Reading Teachers Lounge. This is season four, episode seven. And today we are going to be talking about the reading ladder by Nancy Young and the updates that she's put out. We're going to unpack a whole bunch of stuff. My name is Mary Sagafi. I am a reading tutor and a dyslexia advocate. Um, I have been teaching for more than 15 years now, and um, I am excited to unpack with my friend Shannon here, who's my soul sister in literacy. And I'm Shannon Betts. I've been teaching since 2002. I've been a homeroom teacher and a reading specialist, and currently I'm working at a private school part-time as a resource teacher for third through eighth grade in reading in ELA. You can find me online at rdngdevelopment and readingdevelopment.com. And you can find us online at readingteacherslounge.com and also Reading Teachers Lounge on Instagram and Facebook. So Mary, do you remember in our season four opening episode, how we chatted about that Nancy Young differentiation webinar that I attended? Um, yeah. I think when I, I attended that webinar back in the summer of 2021, and I think that in that webinar, she was setting the stage for these coming changes. And in that training, she talked about some errors that she felt like she'd made um, in her phrasing and wording on the original letter that she felt led to many teachers giving the same dose of structured literacy to like all their students. Hey, and Shannon, then, let's back up just a little bit and let our readers remember about the ladder of reading. So the ladder of reading was first introduced, um, at least for our podcast, Oh, way back in early 2019. Yes, and, and the original letter was in 2012, but you introduced me to right. it in 2019. Right. So some of our listeners, if you heard about it through us, probably heard it around then. And the original reading ladder was an infographic that Nancy Young created. It's fantastic. I first came across it on the um, International Dyslexia Association website, and I have been looking at it and using it um, for advocacy purposes for a really long time. What it essentially boiled down to, and this is the broad strokes that Nancy has been wanting to correct a bit, is that approximately 15% of readers are struggling and really require um, some explicit and um, systematic intervention for learning to read. That means 15% of the readers in the classroom are struggling and teachers need to be aware that those 15% require or are in need of interventions. I like that. And that's structured literacy, like a really strong structured literacy. Exactly. I like that, especially because it's kind of easy to understand and it's easy to go to. Um, The 40% in the middle of the class would benefit from structured literacy and some explicit instruction and that benefit is, is there. And then approximately the 10, 5% at the top um, need very little explicit instruction in learning to decode. They um, have more of um, a natural ability to learn to read and don't need as much instruction um, and tend to learn their decoding 
um, just as a as an easier process than some other children. The point of that being that we need to make sure that um, we are teaching the needs of our children. And what many educators take from that is explicit systematic instruction in the areas of phonics for reading and decoding is beneficial for all kids and doesn't hurt other kids. It doesn't hurt the top readers. However, the kids at the bottom of the ladder require that level of support, and we should be doing that. So right. those are the broad strokes and broad takeaways that people get from the original infographic that she did in 2012. But what she um, was worried about is that she's seen trends over time is that some students at that top of the area that, you know, that lower percentage of students that um, need that more advanced instruction, they weren't getting quite enough of that in advanced instruction because she felt like she didn't emphasize enough that um, structured literacy was advantageous for all. And so that sort of was interpreted by many people that that's the only thing that you should do for the students and to give every student at the reading letter the same dose of it. And that there were just, she just has seen broad trends that there hasn't been enough differentiation going on. And so she worked very um, thoughtfully uh, on this update, um, kind of with that differentiation need in mind. Um, right. and, and she's been working on that through. since this summer. Yeah, I was just going to add that um, I'm really impressed with this update because it provides a lot of definitions for um, the percentages that she first came in, in touch with, how to actually apply these things. She's got lots of definitions and um, she kind of reveals what the infographic um, really, really is intending to portray and communicate. Um, I also learned, which I think this is really fabulous. She first developed the infographic in 2012 as part of her master's program in special ed. And she um, never intended for it to go viral. It just happened to be one of those things that went viral. And so she um, has been constantly thinking about it, worrying about um, how people are interpreting it. And I just, I'm so impressed with the level of detail she has in this. So I highly recommend, in addition to listening to our opinions and, and how, not even our opinions, our interpretations of it, um, and going through this entire blog post yourself so that you can use it as a reference, because I think it's got a lot of fantastic information. And I would recommend this to pre-service teachers. I would recommend this to seasoned teachers. I would recommend this to administrators. I think the way that she boils down the importance of um, quality literacy instruction and what it should look like in the classroom is amazing in this article. I think parents as well, because they can try to understand where their own children um, fit in the colors of the ladder. And she explains things, um, I think without too much jargon and the jargon she does use, she defines in some glossaries that we'll link to in the show notes. And so I, I, I think her writing, um, she writes it in a beautiful, simple, but complex way that every, mm -hmm. it, it gives a lot of um, complicated information, but in a way that's easily understood, which isn't easy to do. So I attended the webinar. Um, it was a huge reveal of her revised um, ladder of reading and writing. It was on November 16th. It was a very big event. They kept having to update the guest list numbers because it kept filling up. And so I was proud to even get a spot in the, in the uh, webinar invitation. And there were so many literacy researchers there and science of reading individuals. Um, it was just like 
an incredible room to be a part of even virtually because you could just feel the the knowledge and the energy of the literacy information. And um, following that webinar, um, we contacted Nancy Young um, because we wanted to discuss it on the podcast. And we do have her explicit permission to discuss these updates and to use her graphics. And you can check out our website at nancyyoung.ca if you want to see the terms of use or if you want to gain permission for your own use. And we just want to say thank you to Nancy for um, giving such explicit blog posts and also giving us permission to discuss this and our interpretations of it, her understandings of the updates. So we're gonna go through now and talk about like what's the same from the original um, letter and then what's been changed. Yep, yeah, that sounds great. I think the first important piece to really mention is that she changes the title to the ladder of reading and writing um, and I think that the first part that she she talks about and emphasizes is that um, we cannot take the reading and writing and put them in separate categories. It is part of literacy together, and um, you cannot separate those necessarily. A good reader can look different than a good writer, but we still need to make sure that all of those skills are um, reached to mastery for for children and. Um, as they, as they progress, especially through their elementary years, but then even into high school, um, middle school and high school as well. Because okay. even if they're good readers, like we need to think about it, their total literacy proficiency development includes being able to express themselves in writing. Yes, definitely. And also let me start with saying she um, did not update this alone. She used um, the assistance of Dr. Jan House. Brooke, did I say it right? Hasbrook. Hasbrook, um, who added um, research, um, recent research findings um, to make sure that um, all the updates aligned with the most recent science of reading research. So um, the title has changed, as Mary said. Um, the the children climbing the ladder, the graphics that are so cute by Dean Stanton, those are the same for the most part with the kids climbing up the colors on the ladder on the left-hand side of the graphic. However, a little change that's been that's subtle but there is that the kids are now carrying books and some of them are carrying pencils. And that's to really emphasize um, that we need to give students a lot of reading opportunities that the whole reason we're doing this instruction and understanding literacy instruction this way is because we want to open the world of books to students and open the world of literacy and the ability to communicate and writing to students. Um, and even the little bird at the top is holding a book, which I think is really cute. Yeah. And then secondarily, there's um, distinct color bands that represent the continuum on the ladder. Um, and the update has a little bit of a less definitive manner than the first ones. And so those have been in like previously interpreted to be like very distinct le levels that children are at, but she's saying that they're a little bit faded now because there really is a continuous distribution of um, arrows that interchange and you can be good in one area of literacy and you may be struggling in another area of literacy. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that, but the word right. updating, yeah, is really key. And so that is, um, specific with the reading and writing, but. Well, let me add, um, I want to add one more thing about the colors. So what, yeah, so there's four colors and it, this, there's four colors on the original one too, and it's red at the bottom and then yellow. 
and then going up it's light green and then dark green. Um, but like you said, like the colors are softer now and it's more an ombre effect where like it's not this strong harsh line between the red and the yellow. Instead you see like a gradient of orange in between those colors. Um, because like you said, the students, it's not gonna be a harsh line where they're re read in phonics and in vocabulary and in writing and in every year of reading. Um, and it's a lot softer of where they might move. Just like in our reading groups, we might have students who aren't gonna stay in the same reading group all year long. They're gonna move up or down. Right, yep, perfect. Um, so yeah, I think now, I think we should talk about the wordings because there are so many wordings on every part of the infographic that have either um, stayed the same on purpose or have been changed subtly for right. a very important reason. So um, the words I think that you should look at first are the ones that are um, actually written on the colors. Um, mm -hmm. And all four of the phrases start with learning to read. But then on the yellow um, and the red, she has added the words spell and write to that. So learning right. to, to read, spell, write. Um, and so those are the phrases we're talking about that we're gonna talk about right now. And she kept in those phrases, the words systematic instruction, code-based instruction and explicit instruction. And she thought that, you know, even nine years later that those words were still the most relevant. Yeah, I would agree. And I think, um, uh, you know, one of the other pieces I just wanna kind of emphasize here, I really like that she said, read, spell and write because, um, you know, I, we had just touched on this, but some teachers still identify and, and not just teachers, but anyone, uh, a subject of writing, a subject of reading. And those are very different because the literacy skills that we're talking about are really the writing, spelling and reading pieces. And those are not just defined to one subject area. Those are all encompassing parts of literacy. So um, when we're teaching students to decode, we should also be teaching students to encode. Encoding is the opposite of decoding. It is actually putting your pencil to the paper or moving a manipulative that is in the shape of a letter and putting the letters to represent the word that you're trying to spell. Um, a jargon word would be the grapheme motor skills to do that. that and would aren't the, those areas of the reading brain connected as well? Where they you're not just connected. going to be using your reading brain during reading class and your writing brain <laughs> during writing class and your spelling brain during spelling class, right? They're all connected and you use them all. That, yes, of course. Yep. And not only that, we need to emphasize that children need practice in all of those areas, not just reading, not just writing for, um, you know, creativity and story purposes. They need to be using those skills to use their phonics-based knowledge to spell. They need to be able to um, identify, break apart words, understand what the root word means so that they can then use their vocabulary knowledge to understand what that root means and how the author is trying to convey that, or even writing a word and spelling it with the root that they are familiar with. Um, so all of this is really integrated and some children do require more assistance in other areas. You may have really good decoders in your class and really poor spellers. You may have some really good writers and some really um, challenged comprehension 
uh, students with comprehension issues. Um, and that's and why so, in the latter, she added these little like spirally looking arrows um, in yep. between the colors to show yep. that it's not, you know, like you said, a student might be um, weak in phonics, but might have a very strong oral vocabulary. And so they might be at a different a color in each of those um, five areas yeah. of reading. So the other term that I really like that she uses, it's code-based because code-based can be applied to reading, writing, and spelling. Um, and so um, that part it has stayed the same. Um, and basically it also takes away from the idea that um, it's an, it takes away from the idea that um, you have to automatically learn these. It's actually code-based. So you are generating it using a, um, process in your brain, basically making it very clear that it's an ineffective strategy to guess at words and the picture guessing should not be taught when children are learning to read. They really need to be able to um, use their phonics-based skills and decode. Um, and in previous and then, episodes, we've talked about the, the definitions of what like that explicit and systematic instruction looks right. like um, in structured literacy. So we'll link to some of those other episodes as well, where we've taken more time to define what those words mean. And right. um, again, Nancy Young defines what those words mean um, in her um, kind of glossary blog post that we'll link. But I will say what she really adds, and this part is important, she adds intensive instruction. And that means that students are actively engaged, multi-sensory learning, <laughs> um, and providing frequent responses. And those are the central to what those children, especially in the red level need and deserve to be um, for that differentiation instruction based on what their individual needs are. So um, a small group uh, instruction or one-on-one -on -one instruction then enables it to become more intensive and prescriptive. Mary, I wonder if our listeners like set a timer for how long it takes into the episode for you to say the word multisensory. <laughs> or if it's I feel like I feel like I need game. to hand out. I know I need to <laughs> hand out like a sticker every time. Like, hey, you heard me say multisensory. Take a shot every time it's <laughs> multisensory in the after dark reading teacher's lunch. Okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm glad we needed you. It was time to say multisensory. Sure um, let's talk one more thing about the red area um, mm -hmm. and that she something that's missing from the updated ladder of reading and writing is that she took out dyslexia and any other labels of disabilities. Right. And that part is kind of a big deal, but it also helps us to re-emphasize or maybe not re-emphasize, but maybe refocus and recognize that not all children have the exact same needs. So um, word-based um, difficulties uh, in literacy can be a, an example of dyslexia. Um, it may also mean that you struggle in the areas of comprehension. It may mean that you struggle in the areas of writing um, with dysgraphia. So we know that students in that bottom rung of the ladder have a variety of quote unquote labels that could specifically talk about what needs are present for that individual child. But in this infographic, it's not really necessary to know all of the labels that children would fall into. We're not labeling children, we're identifying them as students who have needs. And all of the students on this ladder have specific needs. And as the teacher um, uh, of the classroom, it is the responsibility of the teacher to know what those needs are, use data to inform 
um, their teaching practices. And this sort of specifies how those practices should look. Yep. Yes. And she defines, um, in addition to defining the kind of terms that she uses in the infographic, she actually does define some of those exceptional needs. And she said to keep it such as an infographic and not be too wordy. She did want to list all of those in addition to dyslexia. And like you said, students are more than labels. And so we have to understand the skills that are needed within those labels rather than just, you know, making that definition. Um, There's one more piece. I'm sorry. I'm going to have to harp on no, just go ahead. real quick. And that is um, there is some skewed thinking in the fact that if you have a severe um, learning impairment or a, a difficulty with um, with a disability related to learning, specific or, or not specific, um, that children may not have the full capacity to learn to read. And she really emphasizes here that um, it that might not be the case. Um, incorporating current research shows that children with intellectual impairments that are not too severe can reach a far greater level of reading skill than many adults have previously thought them capable of. And then provided with this code-based systematic and instru explicit instruction, rather than whole word memorization, they can become proficient readers. So we don't, we don't need to put a cap on any of this. We need to know that this is the best way to teach reading and all of these other skills. They just may fall, fall into, um, you know, the umbrella term of needing different areas of instruction. 100% that is worth um, defining and making a point of saying that, that we don't want to limit the student's potential and set a Absolutely. ceiling for what they can achieve, um, provided the right instruction and meeting the needs of the students in that multi-sensory fashion. Um, the students can, and the research has shown that they can bake far greater gains than we might expect. So, right. um, you mentioned at the beginning about the percentages um, of the mm -hmm. colors that from the original ladder and she left those percentages in there. Um, looking at the recent research that those percentages still um, were relevant and she left them in there um, with to help student to help people um, that looked at the ladder maybe their parents or maybe newer teachers or um, teachers who aren't familiar with the research so that they would have an idea of the you know the distribution of the you know among any group of students and so I'm just going to repeat those again those percentages um, likely in the red we're going to be 10 to 15 percent of the students in the yellow are going to be 40 to 45 percent and those are the ones that are going to um the structured literacy approach is going to be likely essential for them so that's relatively a half or a little bit more than a half of any group of students you have and then the light green is 35 percent and the dark green um is five to ten percent and in the light green the structured literacy approach would likely be valuable, but it's not necessarily essential. And then the dark green, that five to ten percent, um, she doesn't even mention structured literacy. <laughs> she says instead, extended learning and enrichment are likely essential. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think that this is really great. Um, you know, uh, I really just appreciate the fact that um, we're not going to 
harp on these percentages right now, but we're just being aware. One of the um, percentages that she does indicate is about 7% of the students in the classroom may have dyslexia. And that is accurate with current research, um, but it also um, just gives the teachers an idea that you will likely have a few kids in your class who are specifically struggling with dyslexia, and there is a lot of research to back that up. You may also need some additional supports for those students or for yourself as the classroom teacher to meet their needs. Well, and I'm working with some students this year who um, are identified as dyslexic, but it is not their reading that is effective. Mm -hmm. It is that spelling and writing that's effective. And so I, um, they're not in the red in the reading. They're right. in the light green to dark green in the reading. But the spelling and writing, they're, they're showing up in maybe the orange, the students that I'm particularly working with. And I know that based but on the data, which we're going to talk about the any... data in a minute. Yeah. Right. So I can just say, um, you know, just not from research, but just from my own experience, um, when I am remediating, remediating children, there is likely more growth that happens in the decoding area first and less growth that, growth, growth that happens in um, the encoding and spelling uh, later on. And especially because children are then required in the upper grades, third, fourth, fifth grade to um, have more of a solid um, lexicon, I guess, and um, or, or should be able to utilize words. So in those years, they tend to focus more on assistive technology and typing and using programs that can um, help them. So they're not using as much, they're not using as much of their spelling skills to continue their, um, their learning. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about um, the orange part of the, the continuum. And some of the words that I mentioned too, some of those phrases, I think we need to talk, right. I, I kind of glossed over those um, when I was talking right. about the percentages, but I think we need to go into a little bit more detail. So the orange and the yellow. Mm -hmm. Yes. So those she has on the right-hand side, a structured literacy approach, likely essential. What is structured literacy again? <laughs> I'll help you're better you at defining. Don't worry. <laughs> you're better at defining. Not to put you right on the spot there, Shannon. <laughs> um, remember, Actually, structured I have a structured literacy primer. I'm going to read her words. An yeah, approach to teaching the structure of written text for reading and writing. What mm -hmm. the content and how the process, how systematic and explicit are based on student need, data-informed instruction, repetition, and extended learning. And the content is phonology, orthography, morphology, syntax, and semantics. Let's just reemphasize for all those folks in the back, structured literacy does not mean phonics-based instruction. Um, it really does encompass all of these other five areas, which is phonology. And that's making sure that um, the individual sounds in words are being able to be manipulated. Orthography, which is the reading, decoding, and spelling or encoding. Um, to do the written code, um, having knowledge that the word have is H-A-V with a magic E at the end that doesn't actually use that sound, you are able to build those words together with um, orthography. Morphology is learning about um, the units of meaning in words and helping with spelling and reading mastery. Syntax is reading and writing um, 
your words, arranging them in various ways, like using different parts of speech and organizing sentences and paragraphs and forms of text, the roles of punctuation. And this is really the writing part of um, understanding how our language works. Well, so the original ladder, she said structured literacy approach was essential. Mm -hmm. And now she's added the word likely in front of the word essential. Why did she do that? Like what, that's one word change, but she was very thoughtful about that change. Yeah, I I think that that's really true. So the likely part is really um, carefully worded because if you understand the research, the language um, has evolved, the language used in research has evolved over time. And you know that um, there's never a specific solid Uh, yes, this child needs this one-size-fits-all approach. And so the likely piece is really carefully worded to make sure that um, we're not just using this as a one-size-fits-all approach. We're really identifying the specific needs of kids. So most children do benefit from this, and uh, it is likely, but you don't want to just use a phonics-based approach. You don't want to just use... um, a morphology-based approach. You need to make sure that you are encompassing it all and then meeting the needs individually, being informed by the data, Ms. Shannon. And different doses, right? Like a student might need a large dose of the phonics and encoding, but maybe a smaller dose of the vocabulary or vice versa. Exactly. Yep. And and the semantics all take place with, um, you know, the, the way that kids can understand the vocabulary and understand what's being taught. Um, and that's all based on their, their own learning profiles. Okay, so pay attention as you're looking at that new ladder and um, think about that word likely. And then also how you approach that with your own lesson planning and looking at your own students' data and how you would differentiate for your, the own readers that you work with. Right. Um, so look at the ladder and look at the data of the students through that lens um, and understanding how much approach of structured literacy is essential for that student. Definitely. So um, is it time to move up to the light green? Yeah, let's move up to the light green. And actually we might even be able to combine a little bit of the light green and the dark green um, because um, actually let's go to the dark green first so that we don't confuse the light green with dark green. And the reason I'm saying that is because Um, teachers do recognize that there are some kids where reading seems to be effortless for them. They come into kindergarten, they have um, been taught, you know, their sight words one or two times, and it seems that they likely already know how to put the process of reading together. Decoding doesn't seem very challenging for them. Um, However, she says um, that they don't necessarily need as much structured literacy in that case. Well, what do we do with those students then at the time if we are, if we are likely needing to teach or if we are really needing to teach some intensive structured literacy approaches? Well, I'm what remembering to... um, our open air episode where you're talking about your daughter and you Correct. gave that really good example of um, like when she's learning the long vowels that you could teach a lot of the long A vowel patterns very, very quickly. And then even give the challenge where she, can you find any other patterns of of letters that would make the long A um, sound um, to really extend her learning. Or um, some exceptions to the rule and finding out, 
you know, what, oh, I hear another word. Does it actually have um, an A sound with it too? Oh yes, you, you saw that. And you also noticed that it's made by the letters um, EA. Well, because those students, like I was trained in like constructivist approach, which has been proven pretty much to be not helpful for most students um, because they need that more explicit instruction. But that dark right. green, students right. in the dark green area could benefit from that more inquiry-based um, activity where, yes, hey, exactly. go, can you find me the phonics rule? Can you define it for me? I'm going to give you a little bit of a definition of a challenge, but then let's see how much learning you can build on your own. And the teacher is the facilitator of that learning and correcting any misunderstandings, but the student would be more driving the inquiry yep. um, rather than it all coming down from the teacher in that systematic, explicit way. And then also, if you recognize that the student is doing that and doing it appropriately, then you're monitoring that. If you're noticing that the student is not doing that appropriately or needing some, some more specific um, instruction, then they move down to the light green level. So consistently monitoring and figuring out where they are um, on this ladder is really important too, because maybe when you're teaching contractions, they are having, um, they're, they're not quite picking up on what those words are. They don't know why some of the letters have dropped off and there's an apostrophe in place. They might need a little bit more explicit instruction and then they can go on their way and um, you know, do some more extended activities with that. But it's this constant monitoring of all the children in the class and what their needs are. Well, let's go back to that long vowel example again. So like, let's yeah. say you've done that um, word-based kind of decoding and in coding inquiry with the students and said, you know, let's, you know, define the long A rules for me, define the long A patterns, find the exceptions to the rule. But then maybe a few weeks later, you're observing their writing and seeing that they're not applying what they learned um, of those spelling patterns in their writing um, and that they're starting to make some errors um, in their spelling when they, you know, kind of write long sentences and paragraphs versus words in isolation. And so then that little curved arrows in between the mm -hmm. colors, that is an indicator to you as the teacher looking at the data that, you know what, that student is gonna um, need some facets of that structured literacy approach. It's gonna be valuable for them. So maybe not in every spelling pattern, but for the spelling pattern of the long A's, because the dark green lesson and activities that you did weren't enough for them to fully apply it in reading, spelling, and writing, right. then they need a little bit more structural literacy and um, the phonology and ortho orthography of the long vowels. And so you could give them maybe one or two lessons yep. in a small group on that, or combine them with maybe a larger group lesson if you're doing with other students. Um, give them another dose or two of that structured literacy and then continue to monitor that data and see if you yep. can um, step back and not have to give as much um, explicit instruction again. And also don't forget, this could also be um, an easy opportunity to have some peer modeling. So if you have a peer who is in the orange area that you have just modeled that exact lesson for, allow that peer to teach um, the peer who's typically in the green area to model what the, um, what the rule is. That's you know a that huge you... confidence builder and exactly. peer tutoring is such a good um, learning tool to really strengthen the learning of that, you know, the student in the orange 
Correct. Um, and it builds their confidence, but then also, um, yeah, it doesn't, um, it kind of evens up that sort of power structure that might happen yeah. in place in the reading group sometimes. So, um, Nancy Young doesn't use this, but when you are trained, um, and Orton Gillingham, the key phrase is prescriptive. And I think what this is really um, highlighting is the need for teachers to become very prescriptive in how they are approaching the needs of their students um, in their literacy block. So, um, great. Okay, so let's go, I think let's go back to the light green for just a second. Mm -hmm. And then and then later I want to piggyback more on that prescriptive thing, because then we're going to talk about the, the purple and the blue arrows. That'll be the last part of the letter we talk about. So Super. the light green, we kind of skipped over that for a second to talk about the dark green, just to make that really distinction that those are the effortless literacy kind of learners, um, which your daughter was one. My husband was one when he remembers, he just remembers reading the Atlanta Journal Constitution when he was four years old with no effort wow. whatsoever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, but now we're going to talk about the 35% of the class that learning to read is relatively easy with just sort of your tier one regular classroom instruction. No right. special small groups, just what the teacher does on a normal Monday through Friday basis is enough for them to learn to read relatively easy. Um, but they might need more explicit instruction for spelling and writing rather than reading, because you said that yep. decoding comes first. Um, and so she defines that the, the structured literacy, the facets, those five areas of content in the structured phonology, literacy, phonology, orthography, morphology, syntax, and semantics. Um, those are likely valuable for those light green students. And so you do want to include them in your structured literacy lessons, but Maybe they only get the mini lesson and they don't need the guided practice. They could go on and do some more application and independent practice um, things immediately because they just needed that quick lesson on it rather than extra practice with the teacher that the students in the yellow yeah. and red might need. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then I really like how she emphasizes the word facets. Um, and I want to make that distinction one more time again. <clears throat> it's the reminder that structured literacy is far more than just phonics, the semantics, the morphology, and the syntax. They're all parts of this structured literacy approach. And some children do require more phonics. Some students require less. Some require more vocabulary instruction. Some require less. And the content needs constantly vary in your classroom. So just and one she, more time emphasizing. Yes. And she changed that wording from the original letter. Um, the original letter had um, for the dark green and the light green advantaged by a structured literacy approach. And she really, she mentioned this in that differentiated webinar that I attended in the summer where she was bothered by the interpretation of the words advantaged by a structured literacy approach, because she felt like across the English speaking world that a lot of students were getting huge doses of phonology and orthography at the, in the, the students that were in the light green and dark green. And it was just too high of a dose of those areas of structure, those facets of structured literacy. And they weren't getting enough morphology, syntax and semantics. And also that they weren't getting enough extended learning and enrichment opportunities where their learning wasn't moving forward enough, that they weren't making as much growth maybe on the map test as some of the students that were lower readers because we were spending so much time on structured literacy and planning such good science of reading focused literacy lessons that we're not, you know, we're kind of forgetting to challenge those other students. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well stated. Yep, exactly. So exactly. that's that wording change. So now I think we should talk about um, the brand new part of the ladder that was not on the old one at all are the purple and the blue arrows that are on the right. And they extend from the bottom to the top. So they include all four colors and the purple arrow focuses on data. And I will read that wording verbatim because every word that she chooses is important here is data informs instruction and practice differentiated content and process. So data informs the decisions like we hinted on earlier and that the teacher is spending a lot of time looking at the data and making those um, prescriptive decisions. Yeah, perfect. Yep, exactly. Um, And then if we and then the teachers are constantly revisiting the data and reassessing, and that it's not just three times a year with beginning year. You know those huge um, summative assessments, but they're using also formative assessments to constantly look at those. um, You know, maybe a student has moved within a color um, in one of those facets of literacy within a two months. You know, and we don't need to wait till the mid-year January data to make changes. Um, Definitely. And I think that this is important for parents if you are listening um, and trying to understand a little bit about map data. I know that um, when teachers give you a printout of the map data, they give you the RIT score um, and then they give you, you know, just kind of like on the graph chart where your child is. And then you learn about how much growth they've made. You can specifically ask your teacher um, or administrator to print out specifically the areas that need to be targeted for instruction so that then you're aware. Um, Sometimes, you know, parents also um, think of reading and writing as separate entities, but really, like we stated at the very beginning, there's a variety of skills that um, students can be on different continuums for. Right. The primary um, grades, like the, you know, Mm -hmm. first and second. K one and two test. There's actually four sub areas of reading. Um, they call them goals. Um, and so there's um, the foundational skills. There yep. is um, the vocabulary, and then there is like sort of the fiction, nonfiction, <laughs> and then yep. there's a the language writing. And um, the RIT score is an average of those four sub areas. But I have always found in my classes that their student is not equal in all four areas that typically there's one or two areas that are stronger and one or two areas that are weaker. And um, that definitely gives me a starting point um, of where to differentiate and begin um, helping understand kind of, you know, the colors of where my students fall on this ladder. Um, And we have a whole episode about map because it does give more information than a typical, than some of the other reading tests. Like the Iowa test just doesn't give a whole lot of information about like understanding actually where a reader is because it's standardized questions for every single student you know that takes it in that grade and then a lot of state tests are the same way and it doesn't really give you a lot of information but because map is an adaptive test it will give you more information and I think some other adaptive tests like maybe iReady and some other ones Mm -hmm. um, I think maybe Amplify gives some adaptive um, test data you know you want to look at you know those sub areas um, to understand actually what the students are doing. And then you can also look at your data, like your spelling tests and spelling inventories. You can look at um, writing writing samples. You can look at your running records and that's going to give you some of this data as well. So, right. 
Yep. And it doesn't need to be any additional assessments that you're giving your students. What we're talking about is really just utilizing what you're already doing in the classroom. And another example that we just previously provided um, was, you know, if you notice that your students writing, um, they're, they're constantly misspelling a word or words using, you know, the application of of the phonics lessons that you had previously taught, if they need an extra dose, that's another example of using the data to inform your instruction. So yes, I just wanted to kind of go back through that. So then the blue arrow um, on the right of the ladder, um, to me, the second I saw it, I was like, oh, Mary's going to love this. <laughs> you know it. You know it. <laughs> because it's the other issues that um, are going to affect literacy. And they mentioned your second favorite phrase besides multisensory is executive functioning. Executive functioning. And it's in there. <laughs> um, and then also linguistic processes, psychological aspects, environmental circumstances, like even, you know, like poverty circumstances or mm-hmm. the oral language development that they have um, and words they've exposed to because of, you know, like a, another language that they, you know, um, grew up speaking um, as opposed yep. to English. And those are going to affect learning and vary within person and group. And so I, I think it's extremely valuable that she acknowledged all of these um, issues that affect literacy and included it in the infographic because it just draws those to the forefront of our mind and helps us think about the whole child. I agree. I also think that this is also speaking to teachers who are screaming with their hair on fire, essentially that there is no one size fits all for students. And depending on the community that you're in and serving or the um, particular classroom that you have been given that year and what the dynamics of that classroom bring, um, each year is very different. So I do really appreciate that this ladder of reading hones in on the reading. Oh man, good good call there. (laughs) Phew. Say it again. The ladder of reading and writing. <laughs> okay, um, keep going. Ba- but basically, yeah, uh, it, it helps um, us all make sure that this is an individual thing, but also um, a, a guidepost to best instructional practices. I have learned, you know, I'm an auditory processor. And so I, I feel like I understand these updates even more after talking about it with you, Mary, than even I understood them just attending that webinar, because I, as I talk about things and as it applies to my own students and my understanding of literacy, um, I just have that deeper understanding. So I appreciate you taking this time to chat with me about this. I highly recommend that our, um, our listeners go back through and read this blog post. And then um, additionally, there's also going to be some updates with data that she's going to be providing that's um, with lots of different research uh, researchers and and how they've come to find all of this information and how they thoughtfully decided to include it in the new update. I I think this is a tip of the iceberg and that she's going to be doing a lot more trainings and updates um, in 2022 and how this might affect curriculum materials and things like that. So yeah, that's what I keep thinking too. I also really appreciate um, a really honest perspective. And I think that she brings that to the table here saying like, Hey, um, you know, this was what I started with, but it's an ever evolving document Mm -hmm. and here's how I'm doing it. I'm doing it thoughtfully. And I want to reach as many people as possible. And, um, I just have to commend her for that. I really, I just really appreciate that. We're all 
when we know better, do better. Like constant, like even though we look up to Nancy Young as mm-hmm. someone who knows more than we do, she's still yes. evolving in her learning. And so then we, she shares it with us and then our learning evolves and so forth. I think that this, what I really appreciate, and, you know, we talk about the reading wars a lot. I feel like this sort of softens the reading wars um, argument a little bit too. And she does speak to this in the blog post, but I think that it's really helpful um, in reframing and refocusing what specifically does structured literacy mean? What does um, the, how do the needs of children impact your instructional decisions? And how do you do that within this frame of structured literacy and the science of reading? So. so we can give some of the guided reading books to the, to the dark, light green and dark green students. We, so they, are we don't have to do decodable out. books we are, for every exactly. kid all the exactly. time. They need to have real text too. Yep, exactly. Not and, that decodable and, books aren't real text, but they need to have texts that aren't so predictable in terms of the phonics patterns that they're going to see. I, I think that what you're just recognizing is that various learners have various needs and we're trying to be thoughtful and prescriptive in how we approach that. So um, I also think that this gives a lot of grounding to teachers in all of the things that they already know about their students, but it doesn't just make this issue so black and white, right? Mm-hmm. It, it kind of just solidifies like, oh, right, this is the whole process. Thanks for, thanks for zooming in our um you know, what the needs of the teacher are and what the expectations are and how students, um, you know, fit into all of this with their own unique needs. I think that what you just said, like, I want to end on that because like you said, black and white and like no size fits all. Literally, this isn't black and white because it's the four colors on the reading ladder and <laughs> yeah. then it's the purple data arrow and the blue, you know, other issues affecting literacy arrow. And so all those colors layered together show that differentiation is essential Correct. <laughs> yep. Because their kids are colorful and unique. I love right? that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much to Nancy Young for your impactful new infographic. And, um, you know, thank you to Shannon for this insightful discussion too. Yeah. And engage with us it. on social media, please. Cause we would like to, you know, further our understanding of this, these updates even more and hear um, how y'all have, uh, interpreted the updates and from I know um I recognize I, I I saw some of our listeners in the webinar with us so in the audience and so I would love to hear y'all's perspectives and y'all's thoughts on this yeah definitely all right well so let's put a lid on episode number seven for season four and we will be chatting with you again in the reading teachers lounge next time yeah we'll see you in the new year all right bye-bye